Hello again. Welcome to the seventh episode of the System Science and Public Health podcast series. I'm your host, Petra Meyer. I'm a professor of public health at the University of Glasgow and a director of the Cypher Consortium, collaboration between academic and policy partners who use system science to inform health in all policies. Joining us via Zoom today is Dr. Pete Barbrook-Johnson, who is a departmental research lecturer in the economics of environmental change at the University of Oxford, specializing in the use of complexity and system science in environmental issues. Pete, it's wonderful to be able to have you here with me today. Can I start by asking how you ended up in this area of research and what excites you about the complexity in system sciences? Thank you, Petra. It's a pleasure to join you. Thank you for inviting me to, to come and speak to you. So uh, I ended up in this area really um, I was originally studying economics as an undergrad and then at master's I did uh, environmental economics and it was during that stage of my career quite early I guess in the grand scheme of things um, where I was being taught a lot of methods for environmental economics a lot of methods about willingness to pay for environmental goods and how we think about pricing environmental services and things like that and I, I got quite disillusioned with those methods and some of the assumptions behind them and some of the ways they viewed uh, human behavior. Um, and so I started reading around and I, I just by chance really bumped into um, uh, agent-based modeling as, a, as a, a method, a simulation method. And I decided uh, I wanted to look further into that. So I used that method in my master's uh, dissertation. And I built a very poorly designed model, um, but had good fun doing it and got a decent mark. So I, I, I sort of felt, okay, I want to go on and do this properly now. And so I found um, the closest person who did agent-based modeling to me where I lived in, in London, and that was Nigel Gilbert uh, at University of Surrey. And so I, I was very lucky. He helped me apply for a PhD and get some, some funding from the ESRC. There was, I, I did have to apply twice the first time I didn't get in, and then I paused for a year and then I applied again. And then, so I was really into agent-based modeling. That was my love. And then, but through doing that and being at, at Surrey with Nigel, I was introduced to the broader ideas around complexity and systems research and applying them in social science and policy type questions. And really that became my more of my intellectual home. And I still, I still do agent-based modeling now, but only that's only one stream I see of, of my research which is more broadly around complexity and systems. And it's that that I see as my kind of intellectual home and that that really excites me. And so I've, I've branched out into systems mapping and done a lot of work on systems mapping after my PhD and also kept that focus on environmental issues, but also found myself working in other areas where people are interested in complexity and systems. And so one has been public health. It's been very clear to me that people in public health are leading on this front and doing lots of interesting work. So I found myself quite naturally talking to people like yourself uh, and doing bits of work on public health. So that's how I found myself working on this was really via the method of agent-based modeling. And then in terms of what excites me and what keeps me going and, and keeps, me, keeps me sort of motivated, I think it's the, the real joy, I think, of modeling. I think maybe that goes back to this link to, to modeling. It's the joy of trying to represent uh, social processes, policy processes in models, and whether that's writing them in computer code in an agent-based model, 
or mapping them out in a diagram in a workshop with stakeholders in a kind of systems mapping type exercise. I find that process of trying to crystallize our, our thoughts, our descriptions of behavior in a model, I find that really good fun. And so it's always been that process has been something that I just find engaging and for, the, for its own sake, I find it fun. And uh, so I think that's a big part of my motivation. And then the other thing that kind of excites me is to try and do that uh, in a way that is useful for people. So not just as a purely academic exercise in its own right, but to do something that is useful for some of the challenges we face. So obviously the main one I focused on in my career has been environmental issues, but there are of course many others. So I think just feeling like you're making a useful contribution to some of those big challenges, even though as academics, we might be impelled to think about impact and all those things, but I, I kind of underneath that, I, I do find that motivating as well to try and do something maybe useful, but of course that's a big, big maybe. But yeah, that's the second part is the modeling itself, but then trying to do that in a useful way that really excites me and keeps me, keeps me turning up for work most days. That leads really nicely to another question I would uh, like to ask you. We hear a lot about complexity appropriate policy evaluation. How can we as academics help policy colleagues make sense of their complex systems? Yeah, this is a, a great question I'm, I'm really interested in. I think if you have people who in, in policy settings who are not under too much immediate pressure to produce very simple, clear answers for ministers or so-and-so, that, 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 if they're in that situation, it's difficult. But if they're in a slightly more reflective position, which sometimes they are, I think actually it's then very easy to work with them and to help them make sense of the systems they're working in. And actually, you don't need to give them any knowledge per se or expertise it's more about giving them maybe a, the language to describe what, they're, what they see and they feel and often just talking to them of some of the language of systems, talking about feedbacks and non-linearities and uh, emergence and path dependence and these kind of, these kind of, that kind of list of concepts we might think of when we're thinking about what, what is complexity, what is systems. Just giving them that language can be really useful and that they, they can then do the rest. Sometimes people, a common theme in a lot of my work is that you have groups of policy colleagues or policy analysts, and they're, they're, you know, they are, they're entrepreneurial in their own world, and they are advocating for certain policies or certain ways of, of doing policy. And so often they want to use a systems approach already. And a lot of the people, obviously, it's very self-selecting. A lot of the people I work with are already thinking in that way. And so actually, as an academic, with a kind of badge or a label that you, that you have as, as an academic, you, you're giving people credibility and legitimacy and you're helping them articulate to their colleagues that this is worth doing or it's useful to think in these ways. So I think that could be useful. So just the language and that credibility is a huge part, I think. And then beyond that, when the expertise actually starts to come in a bit, I think is when you can use some of the modeling approaches. And often I think people, things like agent-based modeling, I think I've never really come across policy teams who have that kind of expertise in-house in, in, in analysis teams. So obviously that's an obvious thing you can bring. Systems mapping is more blurry. Sometimes people have that kind of expertise in-house, um, but not always. So I think there's a, a more kind of instrumental obvious thing about just bringing the modeling methodologies and allowing people to use those, helping them use them. Maybe you doing it for them with, their, with them acting as a client in a kind of um, consultancy type role. So those are the, I think those are the ways you, you can kind of help people. 
but it, for me it's often they know that they know full well and you're just opening doors or giving them the language rather than convincing them how do you then see the relationship between those sort of more qualitative system thinking systems mapping aspects of the work and the computational modeling where you can they stand alone or if you want to uh, use both of them what do you think are the contributions different methods can make really interesting question again i think the i think they absolutely are complementary they should they are they should never be seen to be in competition if you have the time and the budget and the resources i think you should always do both together you should always be take undertaking a qualitative exercise systems exercise and and trying to do the more quantitative modeling obviously both need to be done in appropriate way given the constraints you have given what your clients or users need given the data you might have on the system there's, there's a whole bunch of constraints that constrain what is appropriate to do with each of those methods but i think the fund the underlying structure of we need qualitative methods to develop buy-in we need qualitative methods to develop deeper kind of uh, narratives and understanding about the system and we need those to communicate with people i think that's always there and I think that that's always going to be a value and that they're always going to be the best types of methods those qualitative systems methods are going to be best for that whereas the quantitative people are always going to want to understand where we are where we might be going what kind of scenarios or forecasts we might have about the system and if we have enough data about a system then we can use those types of methods to do that and I think it, it gives us a very different type of output and a very different type of value and so they they really can complement each other. Those, those quantitative methods tend to be much more black box. It's much more difficult to understand where they might be making silly assumptions. It might be much more difficult for people to critique them. They're much more often just taken as given and then people discuss the results. Whereas the, the qualitative methods can help us understand what's in those black boxes and what, are, what beliefs and assumptions are reasonable and which are not and where do we differ. So. Um, I absolutely think they are complements and we don't always have the time and space to do them both. And so we must, sometimes we have to pick, but when we do have time and space, I think we should always do both. What are the key challenges that you and your colleagues have encountered in the application of system science to, you know, economic or environmental or public health policy and planning? I think lots. And I think, I think also lots that we don't see. I always get the feeling that you sort of don't know the counterfactual, right? You don't know the opportunities you might have had, had something not got in your way or had that person who didn't speak to you come and spoke to you. So I think it's really difficult to know some of the barriers that are kind of need unknown unknowns, all that kind of stuff. Um, but the big things that we've I've seen is one is timing. And so when working with policy colleagues and working in an applied sense, it's really hard to be relevant at the right exact right time you might be ahead of the curve and you've produced some analysis that speaks to a much longer term picture or people just aren't interested in now but they will be in a year or you might be working on something that feels really timely because you're hearing a lot about it but actually the policy colleagues the people who are working on that uh, in government say or in business uh, are, have finished with that now and are actually now working on the next thing and so getting the timing right especially with the more quantitative computational modeling, which has a longer lead in and it takes longer to do properly. Getting the timing right is really difficult. And in CCAN, this, this research center I've been part of, the Center for the Evaluation 
of complexity across the nexus, a horrible long name. Um, in CCAN, I think that timing issue was a big, big thing for us. Why we didn't do so much agent-based modeling, but we did a lot of systems mapping was we could be more quick to, to produce work of value for people. The other big challenge I think that I've talked a lot with my colleague, Alex Penn, who's been a big inspiration for me working on systems mapping, we talk a lot about wanting to go beyond individual projects. So I think we've done lots of individual case studies or we do one particular small, relatively small piece of work, uh, but then maybe that doesn't have a longer term impact in a particular organization or the learning doesn't, doesn't have a legacy in that, in that organization. And so how we move beyond just doing individual bits of work that the people involved think are great and we have some direct influence or create some insight that's valuable there but then it doesn't filter out how we go beyond that to something more long term is a big challenge that I don't think we have uh, an answer to and a kind of scrap scrabbling at trying to, to address that I don't but I don't think we've we've nailed that yet. What advice would you give to someone who's just starting out and develops an interest in systems and maybe thinks they would want to develop a career in it? If for someone who's becoming an academic or wants to become an academic, I think it's quite clear what you need, to, some of the constraints and some of the kind of games you need to play to be a successful academic. So I think you need to be really clear about what kind of department you want to work in. So if you're doing you know, interdisciplinary work, which you almost certainly are, if you're thinking of, if you're using, if you're using systems and complexity approaches, what departments are, are going to employ you? So I think thinking about how you fit into the, the structure of academia in that sense is really, really important. Thinking about what topics you're going to work on, what are the themes? You know, obviously, you're, you're going to be working on complexity or system stuff, but what topics? Are you kind of a gun for hire and you'll do anything? Or are you going to focus more on public health or more on environment or more on economics or, or something else? Making a choice around that, I think, is important. and then. The, another big thing I think is the thinking about journals and so you know the currency of academics and academic career progression is the first foremost currency I think is I might be wrong but is, is journal papers and so it's thinking about how am I going to get the stuff I want to do and the stuff I think is interesting into good prestigious journals like how is that what does that paper what does that set of papers look like and so being really savvy and kind of focused on that um, I think is important rather than just doing the stuff you think is interesting and hoping it fits somewhere really thinking carefully about where you're fitting I think is important beyond that kind of really hard-nosed trying to be savvy about the, the constraints we face as academics and the incentives we face as academics I think there's other things that are important I think one is knowing the history of these these fields of complexity theory of systems research systems thinking and understanding that these ideas have been around for a while and there's people who've gone before you who've used them and done them and some have succeeded and some have failed and these things tend to go in waves and cycles of popularity and so I think understanding some of that backstory will help you not reinvent the wheel not do things in a naive way or ways that kind of somehow fails to build on what's gone before so I think understanding the history is really important and then the, other, the only other thing I try and say to people is not to get too focused on one method. I think people often talk about don't fall in love with your model. In, in, in agent-based modeling, people yeah, talk about don't fall in love with your model. Every, all models are wrong. Some are useful. 
I think that's kind of true of methodologies more broadly as well, is that sometimes you get obsessed. So I definitely did this during my PhD. I got kind of obsessed with agent-based modeling and wasn't thinking about anything else. And I think as I've gone further, I've realized it's nice. It's much, you, you have a much better perspective, I think, and are more thoughtful if you can see different, uh, what different methodologies can do. I think I, I always think of it as like languages. It's a big regret of mine that I only speak English. I don't have it. I don't speak any other languages. And I've, learning more languages just opens your mind and in you know, all sorts of different ways. And I think it's the same with methods. So I think having more methods than one, whether it's two or three or more, I think is really important as well. How can we be sure that taking a systems approach actually makes a difference? Is that not a nice question for a final final question for the podcast? <laughs> Yeah, it's a really cruel question in some ways, but I think I don't know that we ever can be sure that it's making a difference. Again, it's self-selecting and I have a kind of confirmation bias. I see lots of the work and it feels like there's more of it now than there was uh, 10 years ago, but I've not been doing this long enough to really feel those kind of long-term trends. So there's definitely more, it feels like there's sort of more noise from these from these communities whether it's making a difference i have no idea in the in, in the policy world in that kind of applied working with civil servants working with analysts in business working with consultants i feel like there people are talking that language and they're they're kind of talking the talk and so i feel like that is one kind of tick one win and then i think the thing that's much less clear is whether people are really using the uh, different types of modeling and analysis in a way that's kind of fundamentally changes how we do things and fundamentally changes the findings where or the insights we're then taking up up the up the food chain as it were to more senior to politicians etc i don't know whether that really feeds through all the way or whether it's just uh sort of you just end up getting a lot of noise and activity at lower levels and maybe it doesn't then make a difference to to grand policy i think the other way I would love to think about it, but I don't think we've got anywhere near to success or making a difference yet, is thinking about kind of public discourse or the way politicians speak about things. I think we don't hear politicians often talk in ways that are kind of systems sensitive, as it were, or they don't talk. I don't mean the technical jargon. I just mean talking about things in holistic ways and talking about the interconnections between areas, talking about the fact that often our common sense intuition can be wrong and there can be quite counterintuitive outcomes or behavior in the things that we care about, whether it's Brexit or the national health or the environment. Um, I think it'd be, it, it would feel to me like a big success if politicians and the public, that kind of sense of what the public common sense is, had a bit more of that kind of feeling in it rather than this kind of sort of simple answers or uh, common sense answers I think that's easy to be critical of people I, I don't I don't mean to say people are wrong or talking in the wrong way or but it's just it would be I think that's another measure of success in a sense is whether that kind those kinds of ideas filter through at those kind of that kind of general discourse level as well thank you Pete fascinating insights as usual really enjoyed doing this interview with you If you'd like to read more about Pete's work, you can find his profile on the University of Oxford website. And if you'd like to know a little bit more about Cypher or you want to subscribe to future episodes of the podcast, go to cypher.ac.uk. Cypher is with an S for sugar. 
Thank you for listening to our seventh episode, and I hope you'll join us next time. Goodbye.